0: Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Byrd. Today we're web-streaming on Jolt Radio in Miami to bring you a special preview of Miami Art Week 2018. Art Week has come to this city every December since 2002, when the premier art fair from Basel, Switzerland launched Art Basel Miami Beach. Since then, the year-round art scene has grown tremendously. Creatives from around the world are calling Miami home. When they come together at the intersection of art and life, it gets very exciting. We're thrilled to introduce a few of the inventive projects that will unfold during Art Week outside the established and emerging art fairs. Individuals and collectives passionate about public art and performance, film, video, music, and social engagement, will animate an upscale development on the beach, a luxury mall in Miami's business district, the former Gold Dust Motel on Biscayne Boulevard, and an Asian bodega, an abandoned mall, and a bygone department store downtown. Let's begin on Miami Beach. Zoe Lukov, a native of New York City, meets us outside the two small trailers that sit beside the boardwalk around 30th Street. This is Command Central for the first ever Faina Festival, a six-day art event titled This Is Not
1: America.
0: We're standing next to the boardwalk on Miami Beach and we're looking back at the old Versailles Hotel.
1: Yes, the iconic Versailles by architect Roy France. It was one of the jewels of Collins Avenue. It's really amazing hotel that then was used for troops training during the war and actually for convalescents on their return. And it has been transformed by Mia Endo, a New York-based artist with Sora of Versailles, which takes its name from the kanji for the void or emptiness. She's referencing this kind of Buddhist ideal, but in this case has returned the building to the sky. So you're looking at these different cloud patterns, sunset clouds and sunrise clouds, depending on which side of the building you're looking at, and kind of referencing Roy France's ideas of letting the sun in, letting the air in, Letting nature in. How do we return this building back to nature? And It's a nice also Miami reference to that old Fountain Blue mural that you used to see driving up Collins that you'd kind of dead end into it. And this at certain points you can see on 26th, 27th Street in Collins and it looks kind of like you're driving right out into the sunset.
0: Let's talk about the theme for this first festival This
1: is not America. We take the title from Logo for America, which is a really iconic Alfredo Jar piece that was made in 1987 by the Public Art Fund for the Times Square billboard, the Jumbotron. This Is Not America really addresses America as this idea, this contested and powerful idea that is really much greater than the waters and borders that frame it. And so we've tried to create a polyphonic platform that really invites artists to speak to this in sort of any way that they see fit. So artists have really been invited to explore this concept of America more as a myth or as a narrative that has at times limited us or at times bound us, but ultimately can unify us.
0: Tavaro Strachan is bringing a new interpretation of a work that he brought to Prospect, New Orleans.
1: Yes, he works with these interesting affirmative phrases for this exhibition he has created a new work that says we belong here and it's a neon piece obviously we're like the most neon city and so to sort of reappropriate that medium and think about how to define place is a place that we belong
0: Derek Adams is
1: creating a playground. Will that be on the beach? it will be on the beach, and it is a participatory playground. You can play on it. (laughs) His piece is amazing. It has everything to do with the history of development, actually, in Overtown. This image that he based the playground off of comes from the Black Archives, which are actually maintained at the Historic Lyric Theater in Overtown.
0: It's interesting. There's an exhibition coming to Miami that is referencing the Black Archives as well. The Africobra exhibition at at North Miami Museum of Contemporary Art. So we have a lot of historic references going on in Miami right now. I think it's very interesting.
1: Yeah, I think people are trying to understand this place in all of its fullness, right, as opposed to just what we've heard. Part of what's interesting about Derek's work actually is that not only does he reference the black archive, but he also references this idea of Miami as being the playground of the Americas. But for who is it a playground? Who for who who gets to play?
0: That's right. And Derek, if we could recall for listeners, just had an exhibition at the Museum of Design in New York where he referenced the Green Book, the book that black travelers use to find safe places to stay and eat and experience when traversing the United States in their cars. Right. But
1: that actually is what led him on the path during his site visits here to find that image. When we looked in the Green Book together at what spaces are still standing in Miami, perhaps unsurprisingly, they're in Overtown. One of them was the Dorsey Inn, actually. That was the hotel you could stay at. D.A. Dorsey, actually his name is still on Northwest 2nd Avenue over there. And D.A. Dorsey was Miami's first black millionaire, and he helped to develop Overtown. So Overtown has this very rich history, actually, when it was a thriving and you know culturally vibrant neighborhood. And so I think Derek was interested in the way development has shaped Mid-Beach, the way development has shaped Overtown, and kind of transposing those two neighborhoods and bringing that ignored history to light a bit more.
0: Bringing Overtown, a historically Black community, bringing an artifact or a representation of recreational space
1: to our beach right and like he calls it making the playground that should have been so it's a really interesting playground because on one side you see sort of this starker reality of what the playground looked like and on the other almost in technicolor playgrounds and you're also presenting
0: a film series
1: Film series, a talk series, we have a lot going on. The film series is amazing. We're actually showing Joseph Boys's film, the famous I Like America and Ale- America Likes Me, from the time he spent a few days in a New York City gallery with a coyote. So that's very exciting. I'm really pleased we get to show that work.
0: And We're- that's an iconic piece for those who haven't seen it. It's a mesmerizing work. It will be really interesting to see it in this context.
1: Yeah. For sure. I think it's very key to the conversation. Then we also have Boris Mitik, who I know you saw when we showed the biennial of moving images. We, I became really interested in his work. Boris' process is so interesting because he does, he kind of calls it crowdsourcing these nothings. While he's one of the filmmakers, there's filmmakers from all over the world who submit their shots of quote-unquote nothing that then get edited together by him in the final cut. He's created a video, like a video art version of, this is, it's called This Is Not Nothing. And it's, Over an hour of alphabetized nothings, abstract nothings, amazing nothings, boring nothings, cataclysmic nothings. (laughs) Yes. And there are other films. Yes. We're showing Wu-Sang's Wildness on a loop and also doing special screening. So basically the film series is such that you can come to the screening room in the Faina Hotel, which is on the fourth floor, at any time between 12 and 7, and there will be films on, on a loop. There are also three special screenings. One is Boris Mittick's In Praise of Nothing, one is Eugene Jarecki's The King, we're extremely excited to have, which was filmed in Elvis's 1963 Rolls-Royce, Crossing the Country, he made the film The King, and kind of uses Elvis as kind of this uh, symbol for the American dream. What is wrong with America? The world just doesn't know where America is headed. Where does the country go from here? And
0: there are performance pieces that will be brought every day to the district.
1: Yes, yeah, so we have Cecilia Bengolea, who's been working with us. She was in residence for a number of weeks actually developing the piece. It's a site-specific choreography. She's created it in collaboration with local dancers here and with Nancy St. Leger, who's the guest choreographer who's a traditional Afro-Haitian dancer. Cecilia's piece is for the Fina Forum. It's really fascinating the ways that she's looking at her practice of Jamaican dance hall and the way that's related to the Orisha dances of Cuba and the Haitian Loa dances. She's very interested in this cross-Caribbean spirituality that is somewhere between the sacred, I guess she would call it, and the profane. Like, how do we explore the body through dance in these ways. And she's also very interested in the environment, so she's referencing a lot about climate change and the waters here in Miami as well in her work. And she works with animation, she works with video, she's creating a hologram, the piece is really incredible. So, and don't forget Isabel Lewis. She's incredible. Isabel is doing one of her classic occasions.
0: Reaching out to Isabel Lewis in Sao Paulo, we find out that she's just brought one of her occasions to the Practices of Attention Symposium at the 33rd Sao Paulo Biennial. During Miami Art Week, Lewis will transform the Faena Forum's Pink Marble Amphitheater into the intimate setting for a series of multisensory collective experiences.
2: I actually call myself a dancer first and foremost. I think everything that I do, whether it be creating music, performance, installation, it all moves forth from this embodied understanding of the body in space and in relation to the cosmos that I think comes from my training as a dancer. And I worked as a dancer and choreographer for many years and still consider myself as such. It's just that choreography, I I work with that in an expanded sense. So it's about arranging and composing situations, and all of the kind of sensory input that's inside of those situations. So it could be a choreography of scent, it could be a choreography of smell and sound, could be a choreography of physical dancers' bodies, but could as well include a choreography of the positioning of the visitors' bodies in space if I'm working with furniture or installation. So I really see everything I do as an extension of my practice as a dancer and as a choreographer.
0: You've hosted these occasions for Freeze London, Kunsthal Basel, and the Dia Art Foundation in the U.S.
2: Yes, um, I've had the lovely, wonderful, good fortune of getting to work with these amazing institutions that have really helped to expand the direction of my practice into, yeah, different contexts, different kinds of public encounters.
0: From my understanding, you're very interested in the notion of collectivity, how people gather and how you interact with people in a a setting where you bring them together to experience their senses in new ways.
2: Yes, I think for me, the power of assembly, especially in the very uncertain times and difficult times that we seem to be living in socially and politically, uh, something that's very important to me. And then how we use that time together and share presence is really the focus of what I'm trying to work on when I'm thinking of composition in and creating an entire experience. Addressing all of the senses for me is key to making that a powerful experience. How do we... Create memories and share memories together? How do we rehabilitate the senses? We live in a time where visual culture is of such high importance, and it's of course an incredible resource. But what's being lost when we are predominantly using that visual faculty? And I think that there's a lot being lost, in fact. I think that that the rehabilitation of the senses is something that we need if we're going to kind of Be ready to respond to the kinds of crises that we're living through.
0: Could we talk about how you will approach each sense to talk about what people might experience if they come to an
2: occasion? Uh, Sure. I'm very much looking forward to meeting the public of Miami. It's actually the first place that I lived in the U.S. after uh, moving from the Dominican Republic with my family as a young child. So it's something kind of special, a certain kind of return to a place that was once home. I'm incorporating local dancers into this iteration of the occasion. That's already a way of bonding or finding finding bonds within the city and incorporating their impressions of where they live and the feelings about where they live and how they live. I will as well be joined, we will be joined in the space by plant life, a lot of native and indigenous plant life from the region that I'm sourcing locally and that will be playing a a very important role, I think, in in the work, because plant life for me is such a powerful form of presence, in fact.
0: So what about smell?
2: There are three scents that are part of this occasion that I created alongside a chemist, Sissel Tolas, a Norwegian smell researcher who's based in Berlin. And she has, for 25 years, been researching everything about smell and scent. And she and I have been working together now for four years and these three scents that I'll bring to, with me to Miami are the first three that she and I created together and they correspond to themes inside of the show. Two of them are more evocative of the imagination, are more speculative and fictional, let's say not existing in nature. The third smell is a grounded scent, a scent that is grounded in a scent that is existing in the world. Visitors will see me with my smell diffuser and And this machine that I move around the space with uh, in order to bring those scents uh, closer to each individual. We will explore that and discuss that inside of the show. That's beautiful.
0: We have smell, sight, the plants, I guess touch
2: plants also taste. Absolutely. I will be as well working with a local chef who will be creating these vegan bites that are part of the experience of the occasion. So as a way of activating the the sense of taste, they will be beautiful and they will be vegan, that's for sure. So hopefully everyone can partake in that as well. So that's the sense of taste, which again, touches on themes woven really throughout the show, which is really this question of how do we move forward into the 21st century and how can we flourish as a human species in more ethical and effective ways in the interconnected collaboration that we are having with all the other species and all the other things that we share space with in this ecosphere. It's a moment in time where I think people are Rightfully, I mean, in some ways I can completely understand people are in despair. People are struggling to deal with the kind of contradictions of the world that we live in. And I think that that can be a very isolating experience and that can create a kind of form of paralysis. And I suppose this show tries to work on What can we do? What are the kind of practices of engagement that we can move forward in and cultivate ourselves with in order to be able to respond in this complex moment?
0: Obviously, you're working with dancers, the space to transform our experience of space. So what sound would we anticipate?
2: Yes, and I think I use sound in that way as well. I tend to create music out of the fabric of pop culture. I'm using loops that I find in popular music and sounds as well that I collect and field recordings that I kind of weave this into a kind of ambiance with the music. So I, I think of music as a form of architecture, actually, as a way of holding space and holding energetic space. That sound will sometimes be broken by a particular pop song. A lot of times I'm referencing things like hip-hop and American popular music that I grew up with, but I find ways of morphing it or transforming it. You're almost in a kind of dreamscape where you might almost recognize something, but then it kind of slips away and transforms into something else.
0: How will you guide us into this realm that you're creating?
2: You know, I call them occasions for a reason, and that reason is really about finding a space of live art and performance that perhaps doesn't fit anyone's idea of what theater looks like, or doesn't fit what someone's idea of exhibition might look like. It's really a modality that somehow in between um, many different modes and there's a social element to them. You know, that's, and that's why really I call them occasions. So in a way it's, it really is about being together and meeting one another. And then I, introduce and shape different moments of attention and focus throughout the occasions.
0: Artist Shabalala Self lives and works between New York City and New Haven, Connecticut. She's not new to Miami Art Week. You might remember her 2017 installation in the Design District. This year, the independent Miami-based public art initiative known as Fringe Projects invited itself to present her first public art installation inside Lee's Oriental Market. The artist invited a few friends to help her stage a one-night social and music event inside an empty mall On Flagler Street. I'd love to know more about what inspired you to choose Lee's Oriental
3: Market for your site of creativity. We were looking around downtown Miami for a Bodega S store. Luckily, we happened upon Lee's. Lee's isn't the kind of store that I have been investigating within my own practice, but it seemed like something that existed adjacent to. And the fact that it was a store that was POC-owned, people of color-owned, it served foods which belonged to a specific ethnic community, I felt like for that reason I was inspired by that location.
0: I loved your neon piece that you did in the wallpaper inside the space. You also did a tile design, correct?
3: Yes. So the tile design was borrowed from my original project which I had actually done an iteration of the last year during Miami Art Week in the design district. It's like a mock corner store floor. It's a grid, but it's with an illogical pattern. The purpose of having the illogical pattern is to really evoke the idea of an, like an art space opposed to an, a real Quintinian, like market.
0: And it looks like, was this your first neon piece or is that something you've done before? I've done neons
3: before. This is about the second one I've done. The neon is made from a drawing based on a, a ramen container. The neon is really meant to be the highlight of the installation. It's, it's the most ambiguous as to whether or not it is real or whether or not it is something that's been fabricated specifically for the space. What do you hope
0: people come away with having experienced your lease market?
3: The biggest takeaway I like people to have from the project is just to be more aware, I guess, when you're in commercial spaces. I think people spend so much time in stores and different kinds of spaces like that, but because it's such a part of everyday life, it's a very passive experience. And people underestimate the ways in which these spaces can affect your subconscious. For Lee's Oriental Market, the purpose of this scientific project, friend is really to bring attention and to kind of celebrate an example of. POC ownership in downtown Miami bring more traction into a store and, and maybe a neighborhood that maybe isn't thought of so much as being the face of Miami, but I think it's these small businesses that really give character to cities. And I love
0: that description that Fringe has given of how you're responding to the site as a collision of art object and household commodity, or in this case, art object and consumable commodities.
3: It's especially fitting during the fair to have that ambiguity. It's just more kind of a food for thought type of exercise.
0: And you, while you're here, are going to be involved in producing an event called the Free Range Miami.
3: Free Range is an event that I have been doing with my two collaborators, Michael Mosby and Shawnee McIntosh. The the idea for having Free Range In Miami is to activate another commercial space. Free Range is going to be at 777 Mall, which is now owned by Mana Contemporary. We thought the idea of kind of having people repurpose a former mall, especially during a time like the art fair, where there's so much emphasis placed on commerce, we thought that it'd be interesting, similar to Lee's, to kind of have this commercial space, transactional space that's kind of converted for more of an interpersonal um, dynamic.
0: They're always trying something to activate the space because it's it really takes a lot to bring such a big emptiness back to life. What a challenge.
3: I think that we are going to be able to kind of bring a lot of energy to the space. It's going to be a live performance by Raffia. There's also going to be a DJ set by Loka, who's a local DJ. Fula Thela from Hudson, New York will also be DJing. And it's going to be lots of people from, from Miami, lots of people from the city, from abroad, hoping that this would be a nice time for some like, R&R.
0: Born in Venezuela and based in Miami, Tam Gren is curator of a creative collective called Raw Pop-Up. For Miami Art Week 2017, Rob brought life to the empty shell of the historic downtown post office. This year, they're creating another downtown art adventure inside a department store abandoned 15 years ago. We enter through the loading dock and head to a freight elevator. On the third floor, the elevator yawns open to a maze of empty rooms and hallways, where close to 100 creatives from Miami and beyond will explore the past, present, and future of social space, sexual identity, consumer culture, and
4: more through interactive art and music. So the experience starts in the loading dock. Some of the spaces in the Bird lines are for former employees such as the loading dock and the industrial kitchen. And some of the spaces such as the food court are where the customers used to be. So that's part of the concept of this experience. People arrive to wrap up at the loading dock where they'll get a task as an employee. That's part of an interactive art installation and performance that they need to do as employees of the, this abandoned department store. And then they come up an industrial elevator, and they enter an industrial kitchen. The whole curatorial concept of this project is that through interactive art, we can travel through time, past, present, and future, and see how our values have changed. Because this is an abandoned department store, we are evaluating here how much have we abandoned certain values and replaced them for other values. How does it look like for the future? So for example, In this kitchen, there's a few performances and installations that have to do with edible art and labor, trying to highlight what used to happen in this space 15 years ago or more through contemporary art.
0: Right now, it looks like we're standing in what was once the lunchroom or cafeteria.
4: Yeah, we're calling it the food court. Yes, this is a typical 1980s food court when that became a craze in the U.S. and every single department store and mall started opening one. And people, families used to spend their weekends here shopping and dining in a very different way that we do today. And it looks like there
0: are a couple of installations that have started coming together here.
4: Yes, we started installing on November 15th, and a lot of the artists that are local, which is more than 80% of the creators for this project, have started coming slowly, installing, and then the last few days, we'll have the artists that are coming from different cities and countries a few days before we open and start installing. So what is happening in this space? So this is the Sky Bridge, which connects the two towers that, to to my right, that's the one that used to be Macy's and closed this past February, and to the left, which is the one that we're actually activating, we have, uh, it's been abandoned for more than 15 years, and it was what used to be Burdines. We're entering now the retail area. This is the store lobby. There's a lot of little rooms back there, which I'll show you. It's almost like a maze. People can get lost really easily, which is part of the fun. Uh, And this will be the area of bedding. Like department stores, you know, have bedding areas where you can lounge. And there's also going to be vitrines built here where there will be installations and performances happening inside the vitrines. And we have the fitting rooms right here in which there is an installation in which you can dress up dolls with cut-out clothes. But like back in the day, we used to play... Paper dolls. Paper dolls, exactly. But in a futuristic way in which gender is not necessarily so separated as it was back then. And here to the right, we'll have a candy shop. People will be able to lounge in the store lobby while they wait for their families to shop and look at the retail area. And we have a few installations by creators who are talking about rampant consumerism, super relevant topic this Black Friday weekend. It's, you know, it's such an important part of American culture in this kind of space. And here we're entering all the little rooms and all of them have their own personality which comes from their use in the past. This one, for example, is the sunglass area because as you can see, this is where they used to sell sunglasses. There's a lot of hidden rooms around here that there's going to be prompts for people to find them. And once they find them, they're going to be told a few instructions that they have to do to intervene the space. And this is Eric Vince. He's doing Hi, an Eric. Hi there. An installation in video with sunglasses and nostalgia and memory, which this place evokes.
0: Are you a Miami-based
4: artist?
3: Uh, Yeah, actually uh, we are a store, and I wear a store in Coconut
0: Grove. But since this is taking place in the May season downtown, we're going to offer the retail experience. It's going to be a little different, a little trippy, with frames that obviously cause a nostalgic feeling. So it's something that people will be able to put on,
2: buy, and have some fun with it.
0: So there will be shopping experiences.
4: Yeah, we want to create an ambiguous... Situation in which the viewer is not sure if they're actually in an abandoned department store that is coming back to life within the overall curatorial concept. So there's artists that are having a performance retail experience as well. Everything is site specific and we've actually held tours for the creators and now we're entering a beauty parlor. The concept of the beauty parlor is female beauty standards across time such as you know hair, nails, garments that are could be seen as oppressive or ways that women have been expected to behave dress for the male gaze and there's even an installation that deals with the history of pornography and the impact on women through the decades. Another one of the topics that we're evaluating is, for example, the past, present, and future of fashion. And one of the installations is dealing with the forecast and the future of fashion based on our environmental needs. So, for example, maybe, you know, goggles will become a fashionable object or gas masks will become a fashionable object in the future that people will need because of the environment. You know, as always, we'll find a way to to make it creative and consumable. This is Alex Nunez. You probably recognize her, very known Miami artist. And she has an installation that has to do with bananas. So bananas, as you might know, is a fruit that is sterile, can't really reproduce. So imagine in the future if bananas become this exotic sort of jewelry that nobody has ever seen the fruit, but it's sold as jewelry. So she creates this embellished bananas. And this is like an exchange, right? Like a, like a retail performance. And once you do the whole loop inside the retail area, you will be guided through the natural intuitive flow of the building towards an area that used to be more for employees. And this is one of the big highlights of Miami history for me personally, being new to the city, being new to America that the building is, is proof, historical proof, that so many things happened here that were beautiful, you know, like this, the existence of this store, but also a lot of dark history. So there's bathrooms in this floor that used to be segregated bathrooms before 1965. We have uh, a few different African-American artists that are working on activating these bathrooms right here. Once you reach this point in the first loop of the building, it's called the point of no return. So you have to make a decision if you want to go back and experience this floor more. If you decide to go down the stairs, you'll be going into a time machine that takes you to the alt future.
0: Okay, we're walking down a back stairway. Employees only area, certainly because of the big brick blocks that are here lining the walls. Very raw. Yes, very raw pop-up.
4: <laughs> so we really like our buildings to be, to be real and palpable, where you can really feel the, the history of the city, especially during Miami Art Week, that you see a lot of tents or a lot of white cube spaces. We feel like this is connecting Miamians to their history, and it's also connecting the 70,000 tourists that come to Art Basel, to the true Miami,
0: beyond the beach. So we're going through the fire door.
4: So this is the time machine into the future. And there's an installation here that is a bank of the future that instead of currency, you use your emotions in order to, to acquire credits. And it's an interactive installation by a tech art collective called Data Synced. And now we're coming into
0: the speakeasy where there's chandeliers. And this is going to be the music space. This is a lot of space to occupy,
4: don't you think? It's a big responsibility to to fill this up. So it's our biggest project to date, for sure. It's 43,000 square feet that we're taking over. <laughs> it's We're ambitious. There's no other way for us. So we're looking forward to welcoming Everyone in Miami, everyone coming for Art Basel Week to really discover a completely different project that is part of uh, the art uh, art as an experience movement and the interactive art movement, which is different but coexists with the art as an object model that we see in the rest of the city during this time.
0: A Miami native, Tanya Bravo is co-founder of the Juggernaut Theater Group. She meets us at the former Gold Dust Motel on Biscayne Boulevard. In the mid-century modern district, also known as MIMO, Juggernaut is staging an immersive theater experience that spans decades of local history. The setting is a motel undergoing a facelift Developer and preservationist Avra Jane stopped reconstruction of this space so that Miami Motel stories could create the time warp we're about to enter. We are standing on Biscayne Boulevard. This is an amazing place.
5: So the idea here is really to track and archive the evolution of the boulevard, of everything it was, everything it's becoming, and everything that it was in between. If you were born and raised in Miami like myself, you know that the boulevard has gone through so much and it's a, it's a very colorful place. It's having a comeback, so to say, but I remember in the 90s and the early 2000s, it was a really rough area and I'm, I'm excited to see what the changes are now, it's, it's, it's really kept its character to a certain extent. If you have a check-in ticket, you have access here to the Tiki Party, and then you'll be taken to the back where there's three more rooms. You'll go to the manager's Florida room. You'll go to what we're calling the bookie slash poker room, and you'll meet a gentleman who calls himself the accountant, and you'll play poker with him and learn a little bit about history of maybe the mob gambling in Miami. You'll also have a diner. There's a diner that's connected here in a coffee shop and you'll meet the waitress. You'll meet a feminist who's uh, sort of rallying against the Playboy Club that's across the street that now is the auto parts store. You'll meet two young boys who are trying to get into the bunny club who are 15 years old. A fisherman that's by the river who's teaching people how to fish and, and really exploring the hotel, but everyone you meet is from a different time period. So I love that. It's, yeah, it's a collision of time, so to say.
0: Mm-hmm. So creative experiences, just real life
5: creative experiences. It's a very active way of experience theater. You're part of the conversation, you're an active participant, it really can't happen without you. You know, we're not sitting back in a proscenium theater. where you know walking and talking with it and downstairs you can actually talk to the actors if you want upstairs is more we like to say is a close-up it's very cinematic when you walk into these rooms if it's set in 1960s everything that's placed in that room every prop everything that you encounter is from that time period we work closely with goodwill they're a partner of ours so of course it was a dream for all of our designers our set designer our costume designers a lot of the things that you see in there were sourced from there so it's a lot of vintage goods and stuff like that it's a close up very voyeuristic sort of feeling downstairs is what we call we like to call it the wide shot it's more we go there? yeah let's go downstairs mm-hmm. it's more of sort of like the heartbeat of what the neighborhood is like what the people are like that lived in the area and and the stories all the stories that Juan writes they're anchored in you know historical information that he's found. We have a partnership with History Miami, and they've been incredibly helpful of giving us access to their archives, also giving us access to historians such as Paul George. So I'll I'll give you a peek into the manager's room. She'll share a cocktail with you in here. And um, this
4: is one of my favorite rooms here.
5: It's also still coming together. But it really is a collaborative process, working with the playwright, the director. Her name is Mia Ravegno. She's from Brooklyn. She does specialize in immersive theater. You know, work with two set designers. Set designer, Lee Milian and, and, and Lee Harris. Their background is mostly in in film. So I'm gonna take you into some of the rooms. Um, here's one of the actors. So. Hi, Chad. We're just going to peek in here
4: really
0: quick. Sure. Hi. Hi, hi. How are you? I'm fine. I'm Kathy Bird with Fresh Art International.
4: Hi, I'm Chad Atkins. Nice to meet you. Your name? Chad Atkins. (laughs) Chad. Yes.
0: What role do you play, Jack? I
4: play Cecil. Cecil Knight. Uh, Cecil Knight is a recovering addict. And right now he's leaving at the Gold Dust Motel. So basically he's struggling through recovery and all
0: the temptation that's outside his room. And is this the Bible we see around the room? Yes. To keep you straight? You trying to keep him more grounded through religion. This is his little sanctuary and all the bad stuff is out there. So when he's in here, he feels more safe and secure. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Pray and repent. You need to go in
2: your own apartment and repent. No,
5: we're just going to take in here really quick. Hello. Good, how are you? Good.
0: Who are you?
2: The character's name is Matt. He's a detective. And right across the street from this hotel
4: in 1966, the uh, Playboy Club was established. And I am there to uh, check things out.
0: I see. (laughs) And the woman that's playing the scene with you, is she... Oh, I see what she she plays. She's also undercover. There's a little clue for
5: you. Uh-huh. We don't want to go too much away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is <laughs> that I was love, good. This is one of my favorite scenes with the bunny. So this is 1970s. This is a prostitute. who, She's made this hotel her home. She brings a John in. Smells like patchouli in here, I love it. We play with smell a lot, because smell brings out a lot of memory and it's really taps into into a lot, I uh, think creatively, in terms of, of time. You get taken back in time, sort of through this little portal, and then you come back out and it's, it's the boulevard, we're right here again. So the playwright's done a really incredible job of just taking time and, and letting you weave through it. We're not in, in one single moment in one place. It's really interesting to allow the building to serve you and talk to you. and It's, uh, it's almost like another character in the play. You can't, you can't ignore it. You have to work around each other. This isn't going to be the last time that we do this. We hope to come to several different neighborhoods in miami we're going to north beach and then in the summertime we'll be in overtown but yeah i just want them to come here with an open mind Uh, it's a really exciting way to find out about the history of miami and it's a it's a new it's a new way to discover theater be a really active participant and and something that they may have never experienced before
0: With Anthony Spinello of Spinello Projects in Miami, Octavia Yearwood is directing Free Miami's Free Public Art Fair, an intervention in Miami's luxury shopping experience, Brickell City Center. From Queens, New York, Yearwood has been living and working in Miami for six years now. She invites me to meet her in a raw zone on the fourth floor of this new monument to shopping. One week from today, she says, the art world that comes to Miami will find its way here for an amazing art experience.
6: First of all, when we talk about free, we're talking about what does it mean to be free? Uh, We have artists that are talking about what it means to be free for them, what it means to be free as far as borders are concerned, what does it mean to be free as far as agriculture and even food. There's so many different things that we're navigating. Well, what I think is the most beautiful thing about this art fair is that it's for one free. And it's a non-commercial art fair within one of the biggest commercial spaces n- known to us, right, a mall is, is the biggest commercial space.
0: And Brickell City Center is the newest iteration of that from Miami, still new, just opened last year. Truly, truly, and it opened with us. That's right. And
6: our first fair called Fair, which was a exclusively women-featured art fair that was phenomenal. Free is inclusive, and that is what we'll be highlighting throughout this fair, free.
0: You got it all going. Yep. What is one of the pieces that we might experience? Emilio Rojas' uh, live performance.
6: And what he's gonna be doing is having a tattoo without any ink be done down the spine of his back, symbolizing the borders and how the borders play into the spine of human beings and of the nation and of the country. Wow. Yeah, it's gonna be out of this world. Uh, <laughs> and, and I also think it speaks to the way we are in this structure, our, our producer, Eric, Ruales said that the building to him is like the bones of the body. And then our artwork is sort of the individual organs to the, and in the skin and the flesh. And then they all to come together and combine to create this body. So free is very much like a living thing that is encased in architectural engineering but breathes and
0: lives inside via the artist. With the human energies that will be inside the space. Correct,
6: but also just artistic expression.
0: Absolutely. And what that looks
6: like in all the forms, right? So in this space here, in particular with this wonderful, wonderful backdrop, we'll have Michelle-Lisa Pallissaint performing in a way that people have never seen her perform as of yet.
0: We are looking out over the Miami River. The view is amazing here. We're at the a crossroads of the city where the water meets the street. Such an amazing location to be able to do this in. I love it. Right. Yeah, we have. It's not expected.
6: Well, the only thing that should be expected is that it's going to be great.
0: Okay. What are the dates?
6: The opening is December 6th. That is when you'll see, you'll be able to see Emilio's tattoo happen live and in person. That's going to be happening 4.30 to 8 p.m. And then December 7th is also another day filled with performances, one of which is going to be Michelle Lisa Polisane's Moonshine Moaning, as well as Pioneer Winters Collective, which is also going to happen on the 6th, but you'll have a full one hour performance of that on the 7th. And then you'll actually have My Libations performance happening right there in that courtyard, featuring some amazing Miami artists like James Clin, social activists like Valencia Gunther, And actually, I have a very special person coming in, Sophia Rowe, from New York City, who has been in vogue and works a lot with food, and again, talking about what it means to be free. Yeah, and we have also Fountainhead resident, Shaza. She's gonna be speaking in the language that she created through dead languages. So this is gonna be nothing to miss. (laughs) Right.
0: Okay, oh, we're yeah. back outside going down an escalator to where, the second space where you can
6: beautifully see Genevieve Gennard's piece called Counterfeit right,
0: right across over the, the way top
6: of the Victoria's Secret where her piece is obviously talking about body identity. We're intervening throughout the whole entire mall. So actually, we'll be having interventions happening in the bathroom. Okay, with with affirmations We have outdoor space where we're gonna take you right now. We have a bunch of vinyls of work that's gonna be popping up around the mall.
0: Including Genevieve's. Indeed. Genevieve is an artist from New Orleans, and she was here in residence at Fountainhead earlier this year. And it's great to see her work writ large. (laughs) Large and in charge. It's like this secret, this door you don't expect to open into this, but here it is.
6: <laughs> Always a little bit unexpected. Freddy! How are you? So, this is Freddie Hi, is Freddy. the director of our video sector that's happening in the space. As you can see now, he's doing his measurements and making sure that we get it. It'll be video here. We have the amazing Patty Chang in love on a dual channel that's gonna be playing here as well, featured in the exhibition, 34. Antonia Wright. Yeah, we have a lot of amazing folks. I think that the purpose is truly to create this access that a lot of, not only young people, but even older people, people who are bound by these invisible lines of thinking that art is just for intellect, or so thinking that art can't be a part of their lives because they can't afford it. I really love how it makes art accessible, but also in the best way with the highest capacity, the level of artists that would be featuring uh, in the fair, not only from local artists, but just to these internationally world renowned artists, it just really shows how we don't have to fall into the gap of how commercial art is to be ingested
0: I, it makes me think, though, where we are. We're in an upscale setting. And why not choose an abandoned old building in Little Haiti? Yeah. There's tons of empty spaces. Why here?
6: That's very true. But why there, right? If, if you think about the efficacy, self-efficacy, people thinking about what is possible, right? Why put it in a place that is still navigating around the spaces that they're used to? Why not bring them out of that space? Bring them into a space and help them realize that, oh, this can happen. I think that this sphere is really setting a standard of what can happen with art, no matter where you put it. Why bring them to Little Haiti? (laughs) For them to do more of gentrification like they're doing? Why not let Little Haiti be Little Haiti? Why not take this place that does have so much money and put something that's going to cost some people nothing.
0: Right, and maybe interest people with money that are passing by to start thinking about investing in art. Into art, and into
6: artists that are from here and have really changed the, the social fabric of our city. Yeah.
0: <laughs> this is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird. We're web-streaming on Jolt Radio from Miami, Florida to share a few of the amazing opportunities to interact with the past, present, and future of art and culture in Miami during Art Week 2018. These conversations reveal how the creative impulse can transform our experience of a space, a neighborhood, and a city. To hear other stories about Miami's year-round international art scene, visit freshartinternational.com. If you like what you're hearing, you'll find more than 200 episodes anywhere you go for podcasts. To invest in our commitment to bring you great stories, visit our website and click on the red support button. The John S. and James L. Knight Foundation will match every dollar you give. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more contemporary art talk.